Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. So good morning, South Valley. Uh, This service that you're about to participate in was actually recorded on Thursday evening. It gives our team time to edit and prepare all the video requirements. But most of you will know that on Friday morning, our president made an announcement about churches being essential places, providing essential services, and that he will be asking the governors to allow them to reopen. So today, during our service, you will hear what we had recorded on Thursday night before Friday's announcement about our reopening plan. Now, we are excited that churches are being recognised as playing a vital part in our society. But we're also concerned that as a place of people gathering, we need to make sure that we're following CDC guidelines and that we gather safely. So, you will hear this morning what we recorded about our regathering phases and how there's five phases. Now, after Friday's announcement, We still imagine that these phases will remain, but the speed with which we enter into each next phase, that might possibly increase. So this week, our regathering task team will be meeting to review our plan. Look out for us sharing more information with you as we keep working through these unprecedented, ever-changing times. So I hope your Memorial weekend has been going well. Get ready to worship with us and to start, watch this special Memorial Day video before John leads us in worship. Extraordinary men and women went before us with unmatched resilience, enduring hardship when called upon to defend and liberate. They said, yes, They found courage to rise with every sun, loyalty toward their country, discipline for every command. Even in the darkest hours, they said yes. They cherished and fought for freedom, so those coming behind them were assured of it. And when the moment came for them to give it all, their futures never to be written. They said, yes. Today, we think upon their sacrifice and find our way to honor them, saying yes to making the most of what they gave us and filling the earth with God's goodness. We thank them for their yes. They will never be forgotten.
back from where you are. Come on. I will stand up on your truth. Come on. Welcome to South Valley Online. It is so great to be able to worship our Lord. Wherever we are, we can worship him. And we started off with a reminder that today is the day we will rejoice and be glad in it. We don't have to worry about tomorrow because God is never surprised about anything. God sits on the throne each and every day. He is to be exalted and praised in all circumstances. So as we come into this time of worship, I want to encourage you to give your heart up to God and give praise to him. We're going to sing some songs together, and maybe they speak to your heart this morning, so we invite you into our services, wherever you're tuning in from, and say welcome, and let's give praise to God.
the sake of you, my King. Heavenly Father, Lord, that is our heart's cry this morning, Lord, that wherever we are, as we come into your presence, we would bow down and surrender to you, Lord. We pray that you would move through this service. Speak to hearts, Lord. Help us to come into your presence with open minds, open hearts to receive you, Lord. You are the God of the universe. You are the God who created us with a song in our heart, fearfully and wonderfully made, Lord. And you provided a way back to you through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Let us exalt that and proclaim that, Lord. And I pray for every heart, Lord, to just be with you. I pray for hearts that may not know you, for hearts that are distant from you, that you would speak to their hearts and draw them to you, Lord. And even today, lives would be changed by your hand. There is nothing you don't see. There is nothing you can't do. So we call upon your name. And we thank you for an opportunity to praise and exalt you. And we look forward to how you're going to move. All honor and glory go to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, thank you, John. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. Uh, a few minutes, folks, just to talk a little bit about regathering. And when is South Valley Community Church going to reopen for Sunday morning gatherings? You know, the body of Christ, the local church, is called to be a faithful presence and a prophetic witness within our cities and our communities. And historically, under all circumstances, threats and war and persecution, they've always gathered to worship. And we know that sometimes we gather in large auditoriums, but we also know that sometimes our gatherings are just where two or three people are. And the Holy Scriptures tell us that even when two or three are gathered, Christ is present. And we also know that the church is not the building. And we've been saying this since COVID began, that the building might be closed, but the church is open, and it's wide open to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and outwork our calling of being that presence and witness for and to Christ. And actually, next week, we're going to show on our morning services uh, a video from our rooted groups and some of the amazing testimonies of life transformation that have been taking place through COVID. And as I watched it just the other night there, it really made me emotional as I saw life change taking place. We also know that the Scriptures call us to be good citizens and to love our neighbors. And we've been trying to do that as we closed down our gatherings and we moved to online and we moved our groups to Zoom meetings. And I want to thank you. Thank you for everyone who's been patient, who's joined in, None of us want it to be like this. We want to just be back worshiping together. But a big thank you for staying with us, for following our lead, for being united and loving and patient. And last week, we mentioned that we'd formed a regathering task team, and we're working to prepare a pathway so that we can regather on this campus here in Lamore. And I'm here today with two of the team, Pastor Frank and Marcus. And we want to talk to you a little bit today about that pathway. So, on the screen is going to come up a large graphic of what our pathway looks like and how it involves five different phases. We're in phase one just now, 
and it, it details what those phases all look like. And maybe you can't read it, but guys, we're going to put that online. We're going to mail that out to you in a paper flyer so that you can see the phases that we're looking at. And we're currently in phase one, but I am delighted to say that we can now begin to move to phase number two. And if you look at phase number two in more detail, and that's going to come onto, the, onto, the, onto your screen, you can see that the campus is still closed down. Our services are still online, but in ministries, small gatherings of up to 10 people can begin to take place in homes. So that could be prayer groups or small groups or rooted groups or step study groups, or it could be exploring faith groups with your neighbors. It could be Bible study groups. And we're excited about that possibility of what could happen through your home in your neighborhood with your family as you witness and stand for Christ. And then obviously, our staff are still remote, events are still canceled, pastoral care is still virtual, and the vulnerable, we still want you to stay online only and be careful. And we hope that we can continue moving forwards and get to phase three soon, where we'll have some ministries return here on our campus, and the renewed store will open up. But reopening our campus is not that simple. Uh, Pastor Frank leads that. And so, Frank, can you unpack to the people what it's needed to get this campus ready for people to return here safely and wisely? And the best of luck. <laughs> well, thank you, Gilbert, and good morning, South Valley family. Yes, it is a daunting task to begin to open the campus back up. We have spent the last what is it, 10 weeks now, uh, thoroughly having these buildings cleaned. We've cleaned every carpet here, uh, everything from the vents, the, the HVAC, has, filters have been changed. Everything that we've done is to provide a very clean, safe environment. And that is the goal of moving back on campus. We want everything to be cleaned, sanitized, but we want you also to come into an environment realizing that you kind of have to do your part as well. Part of the logistics of this is that we're going to have signs outside uh, stating what the protocol is for coming in. And we anticipate that you will, you will adhere to that and try to do whatever it takes to make it safe. Uh, I had trouble finding some sanitizer, but I think the uh, supply of that is finally catching up with the demand. We're able to get to those kinds of things. I also uh, ordered... Uh, about a thousand uh, six-foot diameter plastic bubbles uh, that you're going to be able to get in and roll around the campus. <laughs> um, I didn't want you to be holy roller, so I went ahead and canceled that oh, order, Gilbert. Okay. But as you can see, folks, it's going to be difficult uh, to, to work through all these things. What we're really going to need is a, is a lot of help. People to stand by the doors and wipe them down between services and just everything that goes along with keeping the campus safe and, and clean. And uh, we're hoping to have that ready to go. But right now, we're still in the process of getting the supplies that we need. Yeah, thanks, Frank. And we're looking at new signage. We're looking at social distancing spaces. We're looking at different ways to enter and exit the building. Yes, and that doesn't even take into place children's ministry and all those other things. Yes. So. It's a complicated picture. Complicated picture. Yeah. yeah. And, and obviously, as churches regather, the size of your church will make things happen at a different pace. If you're a church of 50 people, then you can pretty open quite fast. We're not, we're a large church. And, you know, as we've thought that through as a team, do we open when, do we open Sunday morning services when there's 50 people? We can't do that. And we're thinking that when the green light is given for us to gather to a group of 200 then we can begin to do Sunday morning services back here on the campus. And we don't know when that's going to happen, but we're working as a team to be ready and prepared 
for that to take place. And to help us think that through, uh, we've also got to think through about volunteers that are needed to open up this campus. And as we think about volunteers, we think, will they want to take part? Will they want to serve with all that's going on with COVID? And so we're preparing a survey. And Marcus, can you talk a little bit about that there and help us think through volunteers and what's happening in the way of the online survey? Yeah, I would absolutely love to. I think one of the things that has been particularly uh, difficult and challenging as a task force team is to evaluate so many different considerations. And one of the major considerations that we have is understanding just how much it really does take in terms of manpower, in terms of volunteers to be able to offer a service on a Sunday morning. I remember when I first started uh, just going to church and, and having that relationship with Jesus and consistently going to church, you know, I would go and then I would just leave and think, you know, I got what I needed to get out of it. But as I grew in my faith, I, I understood that there was an element of service. And as I made that realization, I, I understood, oh, wow, there are a lot of people who are not only in the front lines of people that you see often serving, but there are a lot of people behind the scenes, and it requires a lot of people. And so one of the things that we are really trying to, to figure out is determine just what that will look like in light of COVID-19. Uh, because to be quite honest, you know, even prior to COVID-19, mm -hmm. staffing a Sunday morning was difficult. You know, yeah. our, our volunteer numbers have been down. And so we just are trying to enter into this with, with prudence and, and understand that it's going to require a lot of manpower to do this. And so that uh, consideration in, in, and also just wondering, there are a number of people who are volunteers who are in that vulnerable category. And so we, we, we just don't quite know what that looks like yet. And so one of the, the ways that our, our team has really just kind of rallied around the idea of how, how can we figure that out is through a, a, a survey that we're going to distribute uh, through social media, through our website, through emails. Uh, it's going to go out to our South Valley family and just allow for us the opportunity just to ask some questions about just their thoughts and their feelings and their attitudes toward uh, regathering. Uh, what are their needs? You're going to see questions about um, what is it that we can offer to you in terms of resources? How willing are you to come back into a regathering? How soon? Um, and uh, it's going to require just transparency on the part of those who are partaking in, in the survey and uh, getting that information as well as information about volunteering because there's a part of that as well will give us an idea as to how we can move forward and really inform the decisions that we make. Um, and so just be on the lookout. Pastor Seth has done an excellent job of putting forth that survey and uh, just making sure that we try to be mindful of the variety of uh, necessities that are required for this to, to happen. And so uh, that'll be coming out here very soon. So South Valley just please make sure that you uh, take a look at that uh, and answer it. If you have an intention to, to regather with us, please make sure to give us some uh, responses, uh, and we'll be getting out some more details uh, as we move forward. Yeah, and that, and that link for that service should come live pretty soon here, shouldn't it? Yeah, and pretty soon here. Hey, get, get, get on that, guys, and give us feedback so we can learn and our regathering task team can engage with it. You know, one pastor calls it a holy longing, and, and it's what we have. All of us, Frank and Marcus and John and all the staff team, you know, it, there's a longing to gather again, to, to lift up the name of Jesus and confess him together. Uh, but I, I, we all know church is a social gathering. We, we sing together. We pray together. We sit together. We talk together. We eat donuts together, okay? The psalmist in Psalm 42 talks about how he's asking God when he could come and appear before God in the temple with others. 
we want to do it with, 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 with others. So we have this deep, holy longing to gather together, but it's just not right at this moment. And Scripture talks about adding to your faith patience or perseverance in Second Peter. And uh, you have done that. Thank you for your patience. And we just ask you to keep adding that to your faith. And then Second Peter talks about as you've added perseverance and patience, you can then add godliness. And, and I don't think you can be a godly man or woman without having added patience. An impatient person isn't a godly person. And so, the thought that I had was, you know, as we come together and we're asking you to be a bit more patient, when we do come together and we've been patient and we've added to our character patience and godliness, we'll actually be better as we meet together as a body of believers. So, be patient, be godly, uh, let's take the wise steps, pray for the regathering task team as they think through the phases, we pray for our county, our city, our state, our country officials, that they hear our voice and that they act wisely as well, and together we see a safe way forward to uh, reopen and gather together on a, on a Sunday morning and praise and exalt the name of Christ. Now, we're still doing that this Sunday. We're still gathering, although we're doing it online, and uh, we've been asking you the last few weeks, don't forget to bring your tithes and your offerings and you can do that online. You can bring it by the office where there's a slot. You can put it in without any social contact, and we're thankful for your faithful and your generous giving. You've always been generous, and you're remaining generous, and we're so grateful for your obedience in that matter. And we're delighted that this Sunday morning we can also hear from one of our church families, the Morshead family. Uh, they're core to our church. They're involved in many ministries and activities, and so before we bring God's Word to you, Listen into the video as Katrina and the family bring their greetings and share something of what their life is like as they go through COVID with us. So thank you, and uh, uh, listen into this video. Hello, all. Uh, welcome to our wonderful backyard here. Uh, this is the house of the Morshead family. I am Chris Morshead, and this is my wife Katrina. And uh, we're here to kind of share what the last uh, eight or nine weeks have been like for us and the, uh, the struggles and the positives that have come out of these last, uh, these last nine weeks. And uh, we come from a uh, two-teacher household, so my wife and I have been teaching from home for the last eight weeks or so. And then, of course, we have two school-age students as well, and then a three-year-old. So, of course, there's, I can probably imagine you were like, oh my Lord, how do I, how do I navigate through that? But, um, you know, I would say that's actually been the least of our problems. God has blessed us with very uh, academically uh, ch charged children that love school. Uh, even our three-year-old is very much a, a big learner. Um, I would say, you know, just thinking about what led up to this, and um, oh, I would like to do a shout out to Gilbert for our wonderful attire today. We do listen to sermons, and go Dodgers, blue is a great color. Um, anyway, uh, you know, Gilbert's done a great job of kind of differentiating sermons over the last year, and the one that got me, like, almost literally prepared for this was right before uh, the holiday season, which is, he did the one talking about, really, like, this is, this is, this is me, is that, is that what it was? You want me to do yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me to do what? <laughs> and, uh, and, and really, I, I remember the first sermon being about Elijah and just 
trusting in God's word. And, you know, God tells us that he's, he's never getting, he's never going to give us something that we can't handle and that we can't push through, through, uh, faithfulness and prayer and fellowship. Um, yeah, it's just been that, that really got me like right away in that first week of kind of solitude. I would agree with that. And in the beginning of shelter in place, we were very much in positivity mode, uh, excited to engage with our kids through board games and family devotions. Like Chris said, though, being teachers, day 35, day 36 rolls around and we're starting to feel the drag, the kind of done with this, wanting to get back to normal. And so going through that routine of everything, we were hitting struggles occupationally, emotionally, and challenging, um, even physically. And so I'm sure all of you have felt the same thing. And um, one morning I was taking my son to his grandma's house and um, I was listening to the radio and all of a sudden it was like God was telling me, listen up, this is for you. And um, in high school, I had this candle that had the serenity prayer on it. And I'm sure most of you know, it goes something like, um, <laughs> God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And so I knew that but I had never heard the full version of it. And so that morning on the radio, it they shared the whole thing. And it's kind of been something that I have been holding on to every day since then. And so I wanted to share the rest of it with you. And so it, it continues by saying, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world just as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. And so I hope that that gives you a little bit of comfort as it did me. And realize as well that one thing um, we can even get like, you know, we've spent a lot of time with family. Uh, we can get very, very stagnant and very surface level with our families. Hey, how's it going? Oh, great. How are you? Great. Okay, see you later. But if there's anything that this last, whatever, eight weeks have taught us, like it's okay to like talk about those things that we're struggling with, especially with our kids and with each other. And we can work, work through those together. It's been... Um, as teachers, we hear about from our students all the time. One, number one thing that they've enjoyed over these last eight weeks is getting caught up um, into that real deep relationship with their families. And so we hope that you guys uh, have go into this week and have a positive attitude. And uh, thank you for letting us share our testimony with you. We miss you, South Valley family. Hope to see you soon. God bless. Bye. So this is the second last preach, the penultimate preach in our series exploring Leviticus. Uh, there's a central thread that flows all the way through the Bible and the revelation of God of the Bible, and that is that God is passionately relational. He wants to share everything He has. He wants to be known. He wants to be enjoyed, and He has gone to incredible lengths to make that possible. 
And everything that we've been finding out about our God and how to live close to Him in this book called Leviticus begins this side of Egypt, as we put it. God's people were in bondage, they were in exile in Egypt, and God miraculously moved and He redeemed them, He freed them, He saved them, not because they were good or deserving of it, but God's love prompted Him to free them and to, and to bring them out of Egypt. And after freeing them, He begins to instruct them as how to do life with Him. In other words, instructions on how to be holy, which could be re-termed, that word holy, set apart. Let me give you an illustration to explain that concept of holy. Say, uh, you husbands out there, say, say you got home from work on a Friday, and your dear wife had baked a wonderful chocolate cake and homemade frosting on top of it, which I think is actually one of the greatest proofs of the existence of God. But your wife actually had made it for another group of people, her bunco girlfriends, which isn't actually them coming together to play bunco, but it's actually catching up on all the gossip. And beside the cake, there is a single piece of paper with the single word no and several exclamation marks. This delicious cake was intended for her favored ladies rather than her hard-working husband. And the message is real clear. From every other cake in the house, you may freely eat, but of this cake, this chocolate cake, you may not eat from it, for on the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. The cake was set apart, holy. The Hebrew word is chadosh. And what we've been learning is that when we come into a redeemed relationship with God, God sets us apart, and He sets us apart for His glory. And, and this is really important. We just don't carry on living however we like when we have experienced God's salvation. We could talk about it how we belong, and then we believe, and then we behave so we can become and in every area of our lives, we are set apart to be holy. And to the level that we are holy is the level to which we will do life close to God. So, if you don't feel God close, it's not God that's moved. It's that we're not living set apart to Him the way that we're meant to. Now, some people have turned being holy and close to God as being all about rules and laws, but that was never the idea behind what God did. His instructions, His laws were intended to describe what a covenant relationship with God was supposed to look like. So, when the people of Israel, in a relationship with God this side of Egypt, hear about the instructions and the laws, they never looked upon them as a set of rules that they had to obey grudgingly. Rather, they saw it as promises of God's presence, and they wanted God's presence. They wanted to live close to God, that God who would save them and freed them and redeem them. And people who have known God's salvation 
are people who want him to stay as close to them as possible. They want the fire, his real self, to be there always close tight. And that's what we've been learning about in, Levit in Leviticus chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And we've been learning that we need to be careful what we do with the presence of God in our lives. This is something very central in Leviticus. We need to handle our relationship with Christ with care more than with casual. Now, this morning, our second last preach, open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16, and Moses is about to talk about the biggest day of celebration in the calendar of Israel. You will know it as Yom Kippur. But actually, the rabbis began to call it simply the day. The day. Yoma. There's Thanksgiving Day. There's Christmas Day. There's Memorial Day. There's Labor Day. But this one was so big and so major that it was just known as the day. Now, if there's golfers out there listening to me, okay, you have the U.S. Open, you have the Irish Open, you have the Canadian Open, and a whole other bunch of Opens, and then you have the Open. And maybe by accident, you sometimes call it the British Open. But we all know that it's so elite and special and set apart and holy, the best of the best, the hardest of the hardest, the most illustrious, the most desired, because you're playing it in a British summer, which is wet, windy, and cold. It is simply called the open. Leviticus chapter 16, the day. And Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. And you're going to have to read the rest of Leviticus chapter 16 because we're a little bit pressed for time this morning, okay? But God gives Aaron, the high priest, instructions via Moses on how he can enter into the holy of holies, the inner sanctuary. And he would enter into that inner sanctuary to sort out all the mistakes and the sins and the carelessness and the ignorance that the people of God had come between them and God during the year. And without trivializing it, the Day of Atonement, chapter 16 of Leviticus, is a little bit like a spiritual spring cleaning. And this is what it was essentially about. God wants us clean. And if we're clean, He can dwell in our midst and we can dwell close to Him. And, and this day, the Atonement Day, Yom Kippur, would sweep away all the accumulated sins of the people sins that they had overlooked sacrificing for or sins that they were unaware with. And this day would remove any uncleanness in God's sanctuary and deal with any sin on the people. It had both a corporate and a community and an individual impact. This is going to be an awesome day. The people would be clean. The community would be clean. The sanctuary would be clean. Everything would be in order for life to continue with God, but it is set in a fear-inducing context, and that fascinates me. You've got to read chapter 16, okay? This greatest day in their calendar, which has much joy and celebration, was equally a day filled with care and reverence. 
And you can notice that I haven't taken much care over that PowerPoint slide because I've missed an N in the word and, and that's my fault. The high priest is going to ask on your behalf for God to atone your sins, to wipe them away, to cover over your sins, your transgressions, your yuck. So, you, would, you could imagine that if this guy was going where no man could normally go into the inner sanctuary, into the very presence of the Holy of Holies, he needed to be clean. And the high priest, Aaron, he wouldn't be out the night before partying. If he was going to do business with God, this high priest, this servant needed to be right and clean and pure and ready. And this was taken very seriously by the Jews. Legend has it that a person would keep the high priest awake the night before just in case he had had nocturnal issues while he slept. Because nothing defiled can go into that inner sanctuary. Some Jewish traditions suggest that they even had a new wife waiting in the wings in case his wife died in the night before the day. And he would be immediately re remarried because the high priest couldn't have the stain of death on him and enter into God's presence. So, they saw this day as so important and so holy. So, in verse 3, the high priest has to take two offerings that would atone for his sins, uh, the burnt offering and the sin offering, because he had to deal with his own sins before he could deal with yours and my sins. And then it says he needed to wash himself, mechveh. And all the way through these offerings, the need for washing symbolizes cleanness and purity. And, 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 and here's, here's, here's my take on it. Not only does the washing symbolize his inner cleanness due to the sacrifices, but he was also symbolizing for the people the cleanness and the inner purity that they were about to experience at the Day of Atonement. So, here's a side note. People, if you have not yet been baptized as a Christ follower, seriously think about it. The New Testament takes the Old Testament washing idea and says, this is what baptism does. You want some biblical evidence for that? Go to Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. It symbolizes washing you clean. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to know the cleanness and the purity of a life lived close to God. So, see the picture. God wants us clean, the tabernacle clean, the high priest clean, the people clean. God can only hang out with clean people. You can't do life close to God if you're not clean. And so, let's just say it the way that the Bible says it, okay? If you are not a Christian, not someone who's following Christ, 
then the Bible says that you're filled with sins, and those sins defile you and pollute you, and you cannot come close to God. Your sin prevents that happening. And the Bible also teaches that if you are a Christian, but you're living careless or foolish or selfish, not clean, you cannot stay close to God because God cannot dwell amongst uncleanness. So, once a year, the day happened, cleaned. Now, watch in chapter 16. The high priest had to take off some of his garments. And remember from our talk last week, there were special clothes, a uniform that the high priest wore. It had a breastplate on it and the ephod and a rod. Well, this week, on this special of days, he takes them off. And, and what's the picture? He was going into the very holy of holies just once a year right into the presence of God. He couldn't go in there claiming a status or a position or a rank or an, or an, an authority. In the presence of God, the ground is level. None of us, high priest down to the rebel teenager, the most educated to the least educated, the richest to the poorest, the sit at the front of the bus studs to the sit at the back of the bus nerds to the not allowed on the bus freaks. Well, that could be the Giants fans, the Dodgers fans, and the freaks would be the A's fans, I think, okay? All are level in the presence of God, no rank. That's why I really don't like the title pastor. It's an office but it's not really a title. There's no rank. We're all level at the foot of the cross. And so, the high priest, on this most holy days, he takes off his uniform, and all he has on are the linen, the linen undergarments and the tunic covered the whole body. And it symbolized that they were covered in Christ's righteousness, not their own. Someone else made it possible for them to come into God's presence, not your works, not your status, not your goodness, but God's goodness and God's grace and His imparted righteousness. And that removes our pride and our boastfulness and our egotism. There's no pride when you come into the presence of God. Now, he would offer the sacrifices not for himself, but for the people, the sin offering and the burnt offering. And then, chapter 16, and this is unique, this is new, something completely distinct. He was to take two goats. One would be sacrificed as the sin offering. And a few weeks back, we spoke about the sin offering. And then there was a second goat, verse 10, and that goat was chosen as the scapegoat. And the sins of the people would be placed on the scapegoat, and the scapegoat would carry them away. <laughs> These people actually believed that their God was able to remove their sins. <laughs> like, can you imagine a people who believe that? 
They actually believe that when the goat left, their sins left with it. The goat carried off their sins, and they didn't have them. Anyone here this morning, and you're carrying around sins, junk, garbage, God says, I didn't create you to carry it around. I want you to be free. Anyone here listening, and you're holding a grudge over someone, and it's eating you up, God says, I didn't call you to follow me and have that kind of junk get in the way. Free yourself by freeing them of what they did to, did to you. Send it away. Anyone watching this morning and you're riddled with guilt over things you've done and, and while you're trying to live a clean life and all, all you're getting is nagging voices in your head saying, remember what you used to do? Remember what you did? God says, I've made a way for you to send those nagging voices away. Anyone here and this this year so far has been a year of mistakes and poor choices and, and repercussions and failure and shame. God says, I've designed a day when you can have all that stuff taken away. The day of atonement was a day of intense introspection. You would stand and watch, and all the stuff when you looked inside you that you'd not dealt with in the, in the last year, all that stuff that had made you unclean and impure, today was the day when it would be taken away. Now, there's various ideas going on here, and we want to check them out, but the word for scapegoat in the Hebrew is the word azazel. Azazel. Now, that could mean various things. It, it could be an actual place in the desert, an inaccessible place where your sins would be removed to. Or it might simply be two Hebrew words put together. One, the word ez for goat, and azal to go away. And it would simply mean the goat who takes it away. And I think the symbolism and the narrative best supports that idea, the scapegoat. This was, this was how the Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate versions of the Bible would see it. What's clear is this, in Leviticus chapter 16, your sins were transferred onto the scapegoat and they left you. They entered the goat and then you had them no more. The high priest would step forward and put both his hands on the goat's head, and he would pray. And as he did so, verse 21, the sins would be transferred onto the goat. And, and he would pray words like, O God, thy people, the house of Israel, have committed iniquity and transgressed and sinned before thee. O God, forgive, I pray, the iniquities and the transgressions and sins which thy people have committed and transgressed and sinned before you. And after he'd made that prayer with his hands on the goat, a man in Jewish legend tells you that it would be a Gentile. He would then walk the goat away far into the wilderness, outside the camp where the Israelites stayed, and the goat would never return. Their sins were gone, removed away. Now, this is where it gets good, I think. Turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 19. Here's the best part. 
John's Gospel, chapter 19, Jesus is standing before the Roman governor, Pilate, and Pilate is struggling to find him guilty of any charge. But Pilate does not have a healthy relationship with the Jewish authorities, and so when he tries to release Jesus to them, they don't accept him. They begin to shout and pressure Pilate into crucifying Jesus, charging him with blasphemy that he claimed to be the Son of God, chapter 19. And now come with me to chapter 19, verse 15. The Jews begin to chant, the leaders, the crowd, and watch what they chant. Take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. What's the words? Azazel. Azazel. Take him away. Take him away. And here it is. Are you ready? Jesus has become your Azazel. Jesus has become your scapegoat. Take him away. And so they did, and they led him away, and they hung him on a cross, and Jesus has become our scapegoat. Listen to how the Bible says it. Paul the Apostle writes in 2 Corinthians, he became sin for us. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter, he bore our sins on his body. The Hebrew writer says, Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his own blood. This is the fulfilling of Isaiah's prophecy that concerning Jesus. He took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, and our punishment was on him. Jesus has become our Azazel. His was the ultimate atoning. It is our atonement, and it is complete, and it is eternal, and it is secure, and it is lasting. So the next day, the day after the day, or the day after you come to know and trust Christ as your Savior, someone comes to you, and someone suggests, how can you claim to be a Christian? I know what your past was like. Or the next time you're trying to focus on being obedient to God and a voice whispers in your head, no way, Gilbert, I know what your thoughts were like yesterday. I know what you did two months ago. Or the next day or the next time your ex-husband or your smart teenager or your aggressive employer accuses you and calls you a hypocrite, turn to him. Turn to your thoughts. Stand in front of Satan and his accusing words. And here's what you need to say. I don't see any goat around here. (laughs) People, the goat has left the building. I don't see a goat around here. You and I live this side of the goat having been taken outside the camp. You are free. You are clean. You are washed. I don't see any goat around here. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is freedom. This is love. This is hope. This is peace. This is grace. This is amazing grace. This is it. And live it out, knowing that the goat has left the building. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing God. What an amazing Savior. What an amazing Jesus. And with what humbleness and gratitude we feel that our sins were laid on Him and He has borne them and carried them away. Oh, that that would 
draw us to you in worship and adoration, and all that that would cause us to seek to live holy, set apart to you. Come, we pray, and give us a bigger vision and appreciation of the amazing work of Jesus. And for the first time, to take his salvation, or for the second or third or hundredth time, to thank him for being our Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And we'll see you next week for the final preach in the series of Leviticus. God bless.